we'll turn to this passage in 1st Corinthians beginning at verse 26 and ending at verse 31 if any of you wanted to study sociology I doubt whether you would turn to the Bible for instruction and yet there is an enormous amount in the Bible by way both of example and precept about sociology and the reason for that is that one of the main functions of sociology is to study people groups groups of people and in many cases people groups can be defined as a group of people from different backgrounds who are nevertheless united by a single interest they're all different they have different backgrounds they have perhaps nothing in common apart from the fact that they like gardening they have a membership of a gardening club or they like a particular sport and they belong to a tennis club or some other kind of sports club uh, or they might even belong to a stamp collecting group and so it is people unite around a common interest and why they do so how they do so and what are the dynamics of such a people group a matter of sociology and of course a church falls under that same definition a church is a people group a local church I'm talking about now is a people group and it is a group who who gather around a single interest an interest in the things of God but a church you know is a rather special kind of people group and there are things that are true of a church that would not generally be true of people groups especially small ones uh, for one thing the church's common interest is a spiritual interest whereas most people groups such as the ones I have suggested most people groups are united by some material interest might belong to a, a music society or as I said a gardening club uh, those are material things in which a number of people have an interest and in which they exercise that interest by gathering together doing things together talking about the subject together but a church has not something that might be called a hobby because I think one can reasonably describe the kind of things I've talked about gardening music um, 
sports clubs, as, as hobbies. They're things that people do uh, in their spare time, things that people do as a hobby, as a diversion from the common round uh, of life, uh, but they are a hobby. Uh, and a person can take up a hobby and lay down the hobby. They can become interested in something and they can lose interest in that something. And they can join and leave their group, their people group, at their own discretion, by their own desire. Now you see, that is not true of the people group that is a local church, at least not for a local biblical church because there is another person involved i know unfortunately that there are quite a few christians who treat church as a hobby they come and go at their will they they come they attend if it's convenient but not if it's not convenient uh, they do not feel any particular uh, commitment to a local church. I'm not talking about any people we know, or it might include some people we know, but nevertheless, I'm talking very generally that there are many Christians who have never grasped the true nature of the local church, and therefore they treat it very much as a hobby. But you know, we can't do that. And that brings us to our passage. Let me just read again the opening verse, opening two verses. Verse 26, For you see your calling, brethren, but not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world, and so on. God has chosen, in verse 28, the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. You see, the members of a local church, and he's, he's writing to a local church, the church of Corinth, the members of a local church are members of that church because God has chosen them to be members of that church and called them to be members of that church. Uh, a bit earlier on, of course, uh, in the passage we've already looked at, uh, we, we read, the Jews desire a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach, and Paul is speaking here, of course, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, to those who are called, whether Jews or Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, we have not joined a local church, and when I say joined, I'm speaking 
practically join attending services, becoming participants in the life of that group, no matter how small it is, we have not joined as a hobby. We have joined because we have been called. You see your calling, brethren, and he's not talking about your employment, sometimes we use the word calling to refer to, to, to a, a, an employment or, or to a career or to a profession. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. When he says, you see your calling, he means you see how you were called. And he goes on to say, you were not only called, but you were chosen. I, I know it says that God has chose, chosen uh, the foolish things, things, not people, the foolish things of this world. But you can't choose a thing that is going to be expressed in the local church without choosing people to express that. And so we have this really remarkable statement that members of a local church are those who have not just joined as a hobby, but they are people who have come together at the call of God. Now, if we can grasp that, I'm not saying we don't already grasp it, but I'm talking to, as you know, a much wider congregation on the internet. If we can grasp that fact that we are members of a local church because God has called us to be members of that local church. And before he called, he chose us to be members of a local church. Now, one thing we must not be confused about <coughs> is the meaning of the word call. There are two types of call referred to in the New Testament. One is a general call in which the gospel is preached to everybody. We looked briefly in a recent message at what happened in, in Antioch, in Pisidia. When Paul went there, he first of all went into the synagogue and preached the gospel to the Jews. Uh, but they didn't like his message and they kicked him out and so he said right if you won't listen to me I'll go to the Gentiles because the Gentiles had been asking him to preach to them and so we're told that uh, the large number of them gathered together and Paul preached the gospel to them and we then read this is in Acts Chapter 13, Acts 13, uh, we're told, As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now the only thing I want to draw at this moment from that text is this. They preached to a large congregation of Gentiles, but only some of those Gentiles 
responded to the call. So we have a responsibility to issue a general call. The church has a responsibility to preach the gospel to everyone accessible to them, to, to our locality. We don't know whether they're going to respond or not. Only God knows that. But our responsibility is to preach the gospel to everybody and anybody. And God will then issue the second kind of call. The general call. The second kind of call is what theologians call uh, an irresistible call. A call to which you cannot say no. A call to which there are no excuses and no refusals and no hesitations, no sitting on the fence. A call which when it comes to us comes into our hearts and minds and like Matthew of old, the tax collector, when Jesus said to him, just passing by, said to him, follow me. Matthew could have answered in several ways. He said, well, that's fine, but let me finish what I'm doing. I've got these people's tax affairs. Let me put the money safely away. There are many different things he could have said. He could have said, well, I'll think about it. But he didn't. Jesus said, follow me. Matthew rose and followed him. That is an illustration of the irresistible call of God. And every true believer has heard that irresistible call and has followed Christ. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about people who have received an irresistible call. There are many people at Corinth that Paul had, had didn't know. He had spent probably three years there, but this letter is being written a couple of years later at least. There are many people in that church at Corinth that he couldn't vouch for. And so clearly he is talking to those people who have been called. You know you're calling, brethren. So that is, is a wonderful thing. The Lord Jesus said, we looked at it once in, uh, in John chapter 10, that the Lord Jesus said to a crowd that had gathered around and to the, to the scribes and the Pharisees who were contradicting what he was saying, he said, you do not hear my voice because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give to them eternal life and no man shall pluck them out of my hand. So there is an irresistible call and that call, this is the important point I think for our purpose today, <clears throat> that call is what constitutes a local church in the biblical sense of that word. We're not free agents. We can't come and go as we wish. 
because we are called into this local church. It's talking to a local church. They've been called into the fellowship of that church. They've been called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. That is what unites them, and that is what holds them together, no matter how small, no matter how many there may be. But then there's something else of interest, which I think is less obvious and seldom realised. At the end of this passage, uh, he says there is a reason why God has called the weak and the foolish and those who are not noble or famous. Uh, he said in verse 29 that he has called these people the weak things not the mighty, not the noble, uh, not the wise according to the flesh. He has called them that no flesh should glory in his presence. And that, you see, means that he has deliberately <coughs> chosen people to produce a certain kind of church. In other words, God has been involved and is involved in every local church, in the formation of every local church. God is involved in what today we call social engineering. Now, we ought to be familiar with that term. Perhaps the uh, present uh, situation in this country illustrates the point very clearly there is a disparity between the north of England and the south of England in terms of wealth, in terms of opportunity, in terms of facilities. So uh, the south is relatively wealthy and the north is relatively poor or deprived. And uh, this is well recognised. And the government have even appointed a minister uh, for levelling up and the work of that minister is to uh, try to achieve a rise in the standards of education, opportunity and wealth in the north so as to more, ma more closely match uh, the south of England. It's a deliberate social engineering of doing it by introducing um, uh, infrastructure and, and uh, things like improved transport and getting more investment into those areas. That's all very good. I'm all in favour of it personally. But it's social engineering. It's looking at society and saying there's, a, there, there's an imbalance here and, and we, want to, we want to balance that up. Now that's exactly what God has been doing ever since a church was formed. He has been calling people, individuals, with certain characteristics into the local church in order that the local church might have a certain character, structure, a certain makeup. And, and that is something I think 
perhaps is very seldom recognized. Because God is seeking to achieve a situation in every church where no flesh glories in his presence. And in order to do that, he has had to choose a person who is weak rather than a person who is strong. A person who is poor rather than a person who is rich. He's had to choose a person who is not wise according to the flesh because he wants a church uh, to have a certain character. And that is social engineering. It's divine social engineering. And we should thank God for it. But I don't think it's generally recognised. So then, we've looked at the call. God calls. Uh, we touched upon the fact that in order to call people, God had to choose them. You choose them first and then you call them. But I'm not going to dwell upon that, but I'm just pointing out <coughs> that a call of a specific person must involve a prior choice to call that person into the fellowship of that church. in order that when the church is formed and as it is forming it will not glory in its riches its wisdom its intelligence its cleverness its nobility god doesn't want that kind of church and so he is seeing to it by his choice and by his call he is seeing to it that local churches do not, do not acquire that superior sense, that sense of being better than other people, that sense which would enable them perhaps to glory in the presence of God and seeing, saying, well, we spent a lot of money on our church and, and on evangelism and, and that's brought people in. That's our doing, that's not God's doing. Or we have very intelligent and well-educated preachers and uh, that's what has created this church. I'm not talking about this church, but I'm putting words into the mouth of other people. Uh, people could easily, so easily, boast that they had at least contributed something to the growth and prosperity and effectiveness of that particular church. And God cannot abide that because, you see, God will not share his glory with another. It is absolutely necessary that if we boast we should boast, as our closing verse in our passage says, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. It is the Lord's doing. And, and so we come to the reason. Uh, God's call, God's choice, God's concern that local churches should not feel superior. We have an example of that, of course, in, in the book of Revelation, 
and there the church at Ephesus, which was a, a very prosperous, a very large, active church, a church on which the Apostle Paul bestowed uh, a very large amount of effort. That church in the book of Revelation, when Christ writes the seven letters to the churches of Asia Minor, that church is commended for being all sorts of things. But the Lord says, I have something against you. You have left your first love. And that love, I understand as the desire to glorify Christ. I don't think it's actually they left their love of Christ, but they had left or departed from their desire to glorify Christ. They were glorifying themselves. They were rejoicing in their achievements, in their wealth, their, their activities. And God says, unless you rediscover your first works, I'm going to take your lampstand away. You're going to cease to be a church. I'm going to take you out of the picture, the story. I'm going to close down your church because you have become proud and you have ceased to seek the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and you have started to glory in yourselves and your achievements. And you see, that brings us to try to understand what Paul is saying in the closing three verses. Verse 29, he says, I have chosen these people, I have, I have chosen these characteristics uh, for people, I have done that in order that no flesh should glory in his presence, or at least this is Paul saying of God, that he has done that choosing in order that no flesh should glory in his presence. And then he says in verse 30, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that it, as it is written, quoting from Isaiah, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now, obviously, we could spend a lot of time, could preach another sermon, perhaps, on the specific things that are said there, uh, that we are the recipients and the beneficiaries of Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption, these great words which describe Christian salvation. But you know, that is not actually the emphasis that the Apostle is placing here. The emphasis should be upon those two words of him, of him. It is of God. 
that Christ has been made wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption to us. That's a work of God, not a work of man. It's a work of God, but of God. These things have happened to you in order that those who glory should glory in the Lord and not in themselves. So then, what can we learn? Well, I think we learn that church is not a hobby. It's not something for us to come and go from as we please. Church is a solemn call, a personal call. And that personal call is to serve God and glorify Christ in a particular local church at a particular time, in a particular uh, era, in a, a particular culture, wherever it might be. But God has called us to this work. And I believe that is true of even this small start-up church in Welling Garden City in 2022. God has called us. Now, you might say, well, what can they do? I'm elderly. I'm not well. Uh, I have my limitations. Great. Great. That's exactly what God wants us to recognize. He hasn't chosen the mighty, the ultra-fit. He hasn't chosen the ultra-clever. He hasn't chosen the ultra-rich. He hasn't left them out altogether, you notice. Not many of such people are chosen. There are some, but they're there in a sufficiently small number that the church as a whole is going to recognize and declare that it is of God. It is God's work. Is Christ made unto us wisdom? That's God's work. Is Christ made unto us righteousness? Do we share the righteousness of Christ in the sight of God because of our faith in Christ? That's God's work. Are we serving God? Are we being justified, sanctified and used by God in his service? Um, is that our work? No, it's not our work. It's God's work and that's why his chosen people can't do it. I know that seems to be a, a contradiction. But the fact is they can do it with the aid of the Spirit of God can't do it on their own, they can't do it using their natural faculties, their natural gifts, they have natural gifts, no doubt, all of us have natural gifts. But those natural gifts will get us nowhere. It's because we are utterly and totally dependent upon the grace of God and the power of God and the working of his Holy Spirit because we are so weak that God can use us can work through us to glorify his name among us and to be a blessing through us to a community 
such as we have here in Wellingarden City, that knows not God. To people who do not know God. People who do not want to know God. Nevertheless, the church that God has chosen here, and this applies to any faithful Bible-based church, wherever it is found in this world, not just us, it's every church that is a true church in which the members are called, chosen, and live and do all that they do to the glory of God. Let us try to understand that and let us try to live it out.